Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Previously on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. There's a fine line there because I think there was a time where that dialogue between the NBA and WNBA or that support was kind of forced, uh, where it seemed like some of the commercials and things where you had the NBA player saying, hey, I love Adelina Deladon. While I get that and I understand what you're trying to accomplish, you're trying to capture some of the NBA audience, which are clearly basketball fans. And to me, basketball fans are basketball fans. However, um, I just think when you let it happen authentically, like LeBron, nobody told LeBron to come to the game. You know, like those guys respect what the women do. So they're going to come to the game because they like basketball and they enjoy watching these women play. That was today's guest, the great LaChina Robinson from back in October on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We were discussing the WNBA and whether the league needed NBA stars attending games to give the league legitimacy. LaChina is back with us today. We've got to talk W and we've got to talk women's college basketball. So much to catch up on. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. All right, today's guest is the foremost women's hoops expert in the entire country. Don't at me. Yes, I said it. It's my girl, my friend. First of all, she's a fantastic analyst, but an amazing person. LaChina Robinson, and we're talking WBA and college hoops. LaChina, how are you, love? Oh, Monica, that was so sweet. I don't deserve all that, but thank you so much for it. And I'm doing well. Now that I got my nails done, you know that. I'm great. A hundred <laughs> priorities. I support it. Okay, so let's jump right yeah. into it, because we've had a busy week with WNBA free agency coming to a close. We also had one of the premier matchups on the women's side that folks were looking forward to this year in South Carolina and Connecticut. But let's start in the W first. I think to me, just at a glance, the things that made me go, whoa, oh, really? Were Dewana Bonner to the Connecticut Sun, Skylar Diggins to the Phoenix Mercury, and Christy Tolliver back to the Sparks. Yes, yes. Um, this is probably going to be the most memorable free agency period in WNBA history when it's done. Now, granted, the year will, the league will be around for many more years, but uh, there were a lot of shocking moves. And what I mean by shocking is we knew that there were going to be um, some big-time free agents available, but uh, I, there was no real way to tell where they were going to go. And I guess I'll start with Dewana Bonner. You know, she's a player that, that's been in Phoenix, and she's achieved a lot there. I mean, from six women to 
um, you know, all-star status. Like, she has really come into her own in Phoenix. And, I, you know, hey, everybody's got to leave at some point. It was clear that she was ready for a change. So I think everyone knew she was going to leave. Now, the hop to Connecticut is what was shocking to me, right? Um, I expected her maybe to want to go close to the family, so, like, maybe the South. And I don't know if her family has moved around since then, but um, Connecticut, as we both know, was very close to being a WNBA champ this last year. And to add a player of Bonner's caliber with her size and length on defense and her scoring ability and just, you know, all that she brings to the game, her versatility is, to me, puts Connecticut as the favorite right now. Now, there's still a lot of moves and things going on, but um, and then Chrissy Tolliver was definitely surprising as well, uh, but not as much. We've seen this act before from Chrissy Tolliver. She won a championship at L.A. and left the next year to go to D.C. So she's the kind of player that will move around. Um, I think she enjoyed her time in L.A. You know, it was time for her to leave. She wanted a different challenge. She wanted to go to the DMV area where she went to Maryland, won a championship, and do something special. She left. She did what she, you know, came to do, and then she went back. So um, not totally surprising, but definitely bolsters L.A.'s chance of a championship. They needed another outside shooter. They now have another facilitator. Christy can play off the ball with Chelsea Gray. She can play on the ball when Gray goes out. Like, L.A. definitely had a shortage of guards, and this fixes that. Um, I also think that Derek Fisher, as scary as things got with him last year, is still attractive um, for a lot of people to play for. He's a, he's a great communicator. We had him on our podcast. Um, you know, obviously his NBA legacy precedes him. So I think those are all attractive things, plus it's L.A. Um, so, and, and Christy also had pre-existing relationships with Candace and NECA, those guys. So that's that. And I'll shut up in a minute, but the last piece, Skylar Diggins-Smith. Um, I was not completely shocked by this move. Obviously Skylar was public with saying she wanted to leave Dallas. So we knew that was going to happen. So then it was a matter, you know, in the new CBA, it's going to be a matter of like, okay, the scale has changed. Not everyone is making max, and we're happy about that because not everyone deserves to make max. Like the fact that Diane Sarazi was making the same amount of money as the sixth best player on your roster was ridiculous. So now there's a real scale. So what goes into decisions for where people want to go, I think is going to be, okay, where can I win a championship, right? Like what, what team has the best chance? Or it may even be destination-driven. I mean, we're seeing a lot of West Coast love in all of this. And so it's like, okay, you like the sun. So, um, you know, not quite shocked by Phoenix. And I obviously think that Diana Tarazi in the next couple of years is going to be, um, her career, you know, will be coming to an end. I can't even really get it out of my mouth because I can't even start to think about that. But she's going to have to retire, right? Maybe sooner rather than later. So who's going to take over? Who's going to play alongside Brittany Griner? And um, who better than Skylar Diggins-Smith? Hmm. That is a very comprehensive approach. I think the last one, I don't know if this one, I think this one, I don't know. You have to tell me where this one ranks on the scale of surprising. But Angel McCartry to the Las Uh, Vegas 8. Yes. So 
what I think is going to really change the landscape of the league this upcoming year is the return of all those players that have been gone, right? So right. Skyler was out maternity leave. Angel's been out with injury for a season and almost a half. You know, Diana was in and out. Then you had Brianna Stewart. You had Sue Bird. So the, these pieces and whether they're moving or staying where they are, but how healthy they are and how this kind of um, reunion goes with their teams is going to dictate a lot of what happens this summer. So Angel is intriguing to me because we know who Angel McCautry can be from leading the league in scoring to leading the league in steals to she led her team to three WNBA finals in Atlanta. Like that was never supposed to happen. So Angel has always, to me, exceeded expectations and has been a better player than um, I think she's gotten credit for, but she still doesn't have that ring. Well, the Las Vegas Aces with Angel McCautry, barring any other moves, are definitely, to me, a finals team. So if I had to pick my two finals teams right now, it would no doubt be Connecticut and Vegas simply because of the depth of talent and the star power. I mean, now, Monica, what we're seeing is there's a gap between the have and the have not that is very wide. We've gone from, do you have a big three to you might have a big four. So right. when you look at teams like a, like a Dallas, who's going to be great in the future or Indiana or, um, you know, even New York yeah, or Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, are they going to have enough big star power? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so here's my one caveat on the Aces. Obviously, last year I got pretty good front row seat. I, I, yeah. Last year I felt like they should – I mean, I, it's tough to say because they lost to a very good Mystic squad. But I, I'm curious on Lambeer stirring the pot. And we know what he did with the Detroit Shock back in the day. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not questioning him as a coach. But I think last year I looked at their offense and was like, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the biggest challenge for Bill, or there's a couple things. Like, you're looking at the, the teams he's had over these last few years. I mean, he had a New York Liberty team that had been to, yeah. um, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals. First of all, they were the best team of the East for the whole year, would have the record, and then they really didn't do anything in the playoffs. Then right. he comes to Vegas. And I'm right there with you where I think his biggest challenge this year, obviously he's going to have to move all these pieces around and there's only one basketball, but he never got the most out of the Cambage-Wilson combination. Mm -hmm. We never saw them working seamlessly together right on through the end of their season. Like, just never saw it. So I'm with you that he definitely also has his work cut out for him. Um, We will see. And we know we got our girl, Rashia Brown, doing a great job. in that front office. So, you know, we'll have to check in with her on the pod too. All right, let's come down a level. Um, This week on Monday, South Carolina routed UConn. It's the second time we saw UConn get routed this season, which is like, am I in the twilight zone? UConn is getting routed. (laughs) So I guess uh, the question then, is this just a byproduct of the parody that we're seeing or are Oregon and South Carolina, respectively, the teams that took care of business, the teams that we should anticipate seeing in the national title game. It's a combination of things, but let's just start with UConn is not UConn. 
right? Like this is this team. I mean, we've all been watching UConn dominate for years, and the the little things, the layups, the hitting wide open shots, the you know free throws, the good passing, like a lot of the things that we see them, and they're doing these things in stretches, but not consistently throughout the course of the game. So they're not what we're used to seeing. So that that's that in its own self. But there is more parity. There is definitely more parity. And, you know, when you look at the top, whether it's a Baylor, South Carolina, Oregon, I mean, this is such an exciting year because we have no clue who's going to be in, in the Final Four. We don't even know. We don't know who's going to be in the national championship. We, de- we don't even know who's going to be in the Final Four. Like, all of these teams have shown vulnerability. Now, I think South Carolina has started to separate themselves. I've long had South Carolina number one in my AP poll, just because this is the kind of year where defense could definitely win the championship. Like, not every year can defense win a championship. Like, don't tell Victoria Vivian, as Arike Gubawale is hitting that shot over her outstretched arm, that defense is going to win the championship because the shot was better than the defense. But this season, we've seen the weakness in the top teams in stretches has been their offense. And so this is the kind of year where if you're in South Carolina and you've got a great defensive team and you've got depth and you've got youth and you've got excitement, I mean, I watch out for the Gamecocks. I mean, that's the team that I think has somewhat separated themselves. Like, let's not forget that everyone has, has taken an L this season. Like, there are no undefeated teams. But – uh, still a lot of, of games to play. Um, you know, I I think I'm still leaning on Oregon. I just I think Sabrina is just so fantastic, and I think she has such great pieces around her. That would be my personal take, but I agree with you. If somebody asked me on Monday, what's my Final Four pick, it would probably look different on Friday of that same week just because so much happens during the course of the week. You think who would be your Final Four pick? I said if someone asked me who my Final Four pick was on a Monday, <laughs> it would change. Oh, it would be different. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I really can't – I can't call it at this point. I mean, you would like to think that Oregon would be there. I mean, they came in as a favorite, but they've been vulnerable. Um, I, I mean, I just don't even know because – and I also feel like there's not as much separation from the top five teams in the country – to the top 15, like not yeah. this year, you know, and last year it was like, okay, there's about six or seven teams that can win the national championship. I'm sorry. I, I don't feel that way this year. I think there are about 10 or 12 teams that can win the national championship. That's just me. Especially if you get hot, like this is the year where we're going to see it's not even the better team. It's the better team on that given night. I mean, in the ACC, which yeah. you and I both are close to this year, Louisville just took two L's. And I don't even know, Syracuse is barely, a, it's not a tournament team at this moment. No, they are, they are, yeah. <laughs> no, Monica, you know as well as I do that it has been a dogfight and a very inconsistent year in the ACC. Uh, you know, and, and give Louisville a little bit of credit because they were without Elizabeth Balgoon in those yeah. two losses. However, you know the old saying, like, once teams see that you're shaking or you, you don't have the confidence anymore, that's when they really they smell blood and they go at you. And so I don't think Louisville's pass from here on out is going to be any kind of cakewalk. I mean, how do they, how do they incorporate Balloon back into it? I mean, they got 
NC State on Thursday night. Like, that needs to be your biggest concern because the Wolfpack is really where it's at uh, at this point because they do have that consistency, uh, that continuity, and Wes Moore has done a really nice job with that team. So then, speaking of NC State, I guess as we kind of project, just based on game to game, it's really a good 12, good dozen teams that could be in the Final Four National Championship. But if you had to figure out what was going to be the differentiating factor, other than, I don't even know if consistency would be a factor, but if you had to figure out what a differentiating factor would it be, would you say it would be experience? Or is this going to be a year where we, we see someone like Taisha Harris of South Carolina or Sabrina Unesco of Oregon just kind of be that player and take it over, and that's how teams separate themselves? You will have to have that player. I do believe that. Uh, I'm always a fan of you need to have playmakers uh, on your team as you head towards March. Like, that can just take a game over. I mean, Ty Harris did that the other night against Connecticut. But I'm also a firm believer in experience. I just think when you've been there and a team like Oregon that just fell short, you know, made it to the Final Four but couldn't get over the hump, now they taste it, now they know what that's like. Um, or, you know, a team like Louisville that's consistently in that space, or a team like UConn. I mean, that's what kind of gives them. And now this roster is a little bit different. But, I mean, I put Gino Oriema and Chris Daly again. I mean, they're at the top of my list as far as being able to coach a team through what it's going to take to get to the Final Four or get to a championship. And, and you can't even leave out people like Mississippi State who showed their behind against South Carolina. They were like, we don't care. Like, Vic Schaefer's done a great job with that team. But the Pac-12 is really strong. Um, Arizona, you know, Adia Barnes, her team has had a great season. Charlie Turner-Thorne has shown what she can do. Scott Ruick at Oregon State. Corey Close, UCLA. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I would not be surprised if the Pac-12 does not come in the most prepared conference into the NCAA tournament. Now, the Big Ten is really intriguing to me, and I had to – do a little bit of a double take today as I was looking at um, Charlie Cream's bracket because I believe he has the Big Ten with the most teams in the NCAA tournament with eight. And so what is the Big Ten going to do? Because we've seen them in this position before, Monica. We have. You know, they they get a bunch of teams in, but then it's like they don't make it past the first round. And Maryland has picked it up, but they look shaky to me. You've seen them more than I have. I don't know. They've been, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think early this year, the Big Ten was sort of turning my heads. Ohio State knocking off Louisville. And then Indiana knocked off somebody. I can't remember who. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what's up? And then I'm with you. I was like, oh, wait, no, this might not be what we think it is. But I do think I would have to look at Charlie's bracketology again I, I don't, would the Big Ten get more than the Pac-12? That seems weird to me. He Right now he has eight from the Big Ten, seven from the SEC, six from the Pac-12, six from the ACC, five from the Big 12, three Big East. The Big East yeah. is going to Okay. Yeah, Charlie's out here putting these numbers out here. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah, but Big East. I like that, though. Yeah, yeah. No, that's No, that's really good for the Big East. I mean, come on. I mean, I thought DePaul was going to go the whole conference without losing, but I'm I'm wrong again. 
I mean, you got to you gotta give the Big East some love. They're more competitive than I think we, we often give them credit for. Yeah, and I mean, remember, teams like Creighton were – Creighton, I think Villanova at one point this season was too, but Creighton definitely was receiving votes at a point. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Shout, out, shout out to my old conference. Love y'all. I'm, <laughs> I know. I'm a big Jalen Agnew fan. She's, so, I have get her to the postseason. <laughs> I have her on Friday. I cannot wait to see her in person. All right, LaChina. We got to get ready to wrap you up. I want to make sure that you have time to pack for your other home in Miami this week. Okay, next week, next week. We got to get a bucket, board, or a block from you so far. And we'll just open it up to women's basketball because that's obviously what we turn it to you on. Um, even if it's the CBA, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what is your bucket, board, or block as far as where we stand at w- with women's hoops uh, mid-February of 2020? Bucket, board, or block. Um, I'm going to give a bucket to this free agency period that has been so lit. Like, I am having a blast watching all these teams, all the movement, and getting me super excited. This is what we need as people looking forward to WNBA season during college basketball, mixing them all together. So I am definitely getting a bu- giving a bucket to WNBA free agency. Now, rebound, what does that have to be like? Uh, silver lining. Are you giving us all three? Come on with all the all the gems. It's your oh. silver. Oh, okay. Now I'm okay. I didn't know I was only supposed to do one. Okay, I'm gonna skip rebounding. I was never a great rebounder. And then I'll go to a block and say I'm going to block. Let's see. Hmm. I'm gonna block the theory that no one watches women's basketball because South Carolina had eighteen thousand, eighteen thousand packed in the house in Columbia on Monday night. So I'm gonna block that. And yeah, y'all need to definitely change that rhetoric because it's whack. I love it. I'm with it. I certainly tuned in to that game from the crib. South Carolina looks like they're ready. I love the clip of Dawn at the end of the game. That was for the culture. Come on, Coach. It's for the culture. It's from. The, it's for the culture, Monica. Black History Month. Get with it. China, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Safe travels this week. Thank you for having me, as always, and thanks to Bruce as well. Y'all have a great week. Full stop. Okay, that was great. Now it's time to welcome in my most loyal sidekick and producer extraordinaire, fantastico, I don't know, whatever. Bruce Bernstein, he's the man, he's great. Uh, Let's do NBA, shall we? Oh, sound effects for yourself? I love it. Hey, you're not allowed to give yourself a nickname, but you can cheer for yourself. A hundred percent. I'm for it. Um, All-Star Weekend's coming up, my guy. Someone's going to be in the frigid temps of Chicago. Temperatures are going to be in the teens, but the city's going to be on fire. Wow. My dad would appreciate that one. <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. Let's do this over again, man. <laughs> if, the old, if the old guys think I'm cool, then I guess I'm not too cool. Huh? <laughs> That's funny. Um, but Bruce, what are you up to in Chicago representing the squad, Pure Hoops Media? Talk to us about it. Well, we're there to try and spread the good word about Pure Hoops Media. We're hoping to interview some of the legends of basketball on Friday. They have a media day. And um, the NBA Retired Players Association is a group that we've sort of been involved with and in touch with over the past year. And so we're thinking they got some pretty big names that are on their executive committee, Charles Swoops. Sam Perkins, Spencer Haywood, 
Uh, two of those three are in the Hall of Fame. So we're going to talk hopefully about a little bit with them. Not sure exactly which podcast it will show up on, but at some point uh, down the road, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get some of that uh, into our shows. And we'll talk to the players and stuff, too. I'm sure Kobe will still be a big, uh, a big, uh, you know, topic of, you know, discussion, reflection, whatever. 100%. I'm curious to see um, how that is implemented into All-Star Weekend without being too much of a gloomy shadow. Um, So we'll see. Um, But uh, aside from that, if Aaron, Aaron's going with you, Aaron Berlin. Aaron Berlin from Catch and Shoot 2.0. Shout out to Aaron and Otto. They do great work on their podcast. If Aaron gets a chance to talk to Cheryl Swoops, tell him to talk to her as if it was me, a young girl growing up who loved the Houston comments, and that we're going to insert it in this podcast. <laughs> if, if we get Cheryl, I, I'm going to make every effort to have her do a shout out to you to help promote Bucket Sports and Blocks, our favorite podcast. That would be amazing. Okay, enough of us hopeful, wishful thinking on our grocery list. We're at the mid-season break. That's what All-Star represents in the NBA. Um, Bruce, obviously the big stories have been kind of sad between Kobe, Gigi, and the seven others, between David Stern. Um, I think this break will be welcome for a number of reasons, although we're preparing for their memorial on February 24th coming up next month. I'm sure that that will be beautiful. But let's talk about where we stand in terms of what we've loved so far, what's impressed us. Um, Giannis just had a baby. Shout out to Giannis. The baby, the baby, well, we can't call a baby the little freak. That ain't right. That's not right. We just, that's not fair. It's just not fair. But, you know, kid's going to have a tough time avoiding that nickname, don't you think? His his first name is Liam. We'll go with Liam for right now. Okay, good. Good. I like that. That's a, that's a really nice name. Um. Okay, so beside him becoming a dad, he is, he and his squad are owning the league, really. Best record so far. Um. Definitely look like they're the team that's going to get to the Eastern Conference. Although it seems that last year's champ, the Toronto Raptors, might have something to say about that. Uh, I don't know what Boston quite has going on, Bruce, and Philly just seems to be kind of a mess. Well, Milwaukee's just got it all going on right now. They have the probable either MVP or number two in the MVP vote with Giannis. They've got just a really well-constructed team around them. They have a good coaching staff. and when your superstar player is just such a down-to-earth, team-oriented guy, that's how you go 45-7, and seven, I guess, or whatever their record is right now as we tape on, uh, on Wednesday. But, uh, you know, to me, at the beginning of the season, I really thought it was going to be Philadelphia coming out of the East. My prediction was Philadelphia and the Lakers in the finals. Well, the Philly prediction's not looking so good right now. I think, uh, you know... James, uh, Joel Embiid is getting into it with the fans. He's sending love to his ex-teammate Jimmy Butler in Miami. It's like, if you're a Philly fan, you love the guy because he's just so awesome as a player. But, you know, you, you just want him to be, like, all in. And sometimes people maybe aren't sure. So it's an interesting dichotomy. Is this an appropriate word for this statement? I think part sure. of what has made the NBA so much fun and kind of put it ahead of the NFL and other leagues for that matter is this interaction, whether it be acknowledging that Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid had a slight bromance going on on Instagram or whether it be Kevin Durant and his burner accounts 
or any NBA player who we can sort of access in the Twitter sphere or Instagram. And then we see these larger than life personalities on the court. And then on top of it, a lot of times it's at least good basketball, right? So I think it's like Philly to me, you either have to accept all of Joel or boo him. Like, right? Because you put out the tweet, you become, you are the hero long enough to become the villain. Yeah, some of that are his antics, but I also think that is a part of Joel Embiid's brand. And him, quiet, was really a farce. Don't get me wrong. I would love to have Joel Embiid on my team because 50% Joel Embiid is better than like 95% of the other players that play his position in the NBA. And I mean, he's just, he, he is just a kind of a, a unique personality. And like you said, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we love the NBA players so much is because they do have such different personalities and they're not afraid to, you know, set themselves up on social media to, to you know, take some incoming fire once in a while. Right. But uh, it's, I saw something so interesting and you as a player and an analyst would definitely appreciate this. I was looking at a couple of, at a shot chart yesterday. Somebody put it up on Twitter. It was a side-by-side shot chart of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, as we know, is the point guard. All of the, the shot chart, all of the threes were taken by Joel Embiid, and all of the stuff inside was taken by Ben Simmons. It's almost like the center likes to play outside and the point guard only wants to go down to the post. Although, he, I mean, he was terrific against the Clippers. I thought you know, Ben had a great game against those guys. So just interesting. I know Brett Brown's really got his hands full there, but uh, I would like to see Philly get their act together. I'm a huge Al Horford fan. He was a Celtic for a few years, loved him. Uh, loved Tobias Harris, one of my favorite guys in the entire NBA. Brett Brown, excellent guy. Joel, Ben, you know, great players. So I'd like to see them get it together, but I just don't know that anybody's got enough to beat Milwaukee in the East. I mean, what do you think? I, I would agree with you. And not only do the antics sort of come into play when it's when you talk about Philly getting it together, but to your point, that shot chart is ass backwards. Like, that's not okay. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Like, how does that work? And then I have questioned this since Joel and B got healthy. I don't know that he and Ben Simmons work together. And then Al Horford, who you love, but Al is not like, like Al is sort of that amoeba glue guy, but also hits clutch buckets, but floats around at the floor, but really doesn't stretch the floor that much. And then Ben's trying to operate in, in the paint. And Joel's like, oh, let me get out the way. I'm gonna shoot a bunch of threes. Like, I don't know what the formula is there. And I think, we had this conversation at nausea when the trades went down during the free agency period. J.J. Reddick stretched the floor for them, period, right? And I don't know, I can't recall at this moment if they actually went and grabbed Covington or what the deal was. But you've got to put spacers around both of those guys to a degree. And I honestly don't know if they can be on the floor and sustain success at the same time. Toronto is still here. And I... God, I need to get those rosters side by side. I'm not going to make any predictions, but I wonder if Toronto is built to sustain their success in the playoffs, right? Like, I think the playoffs are such a different beast. Love Fred Van Bleet. Shout out to not really technically a Power 5 conference in the American and Wichita State. Pascal Siakam out of New Mexico State, continuing to improve his game, taking leaps and bounds. Uh, OG Ananobi and our guy. Why am I blanking on my super giant scarf, man? Who had the giant uh, scarf? Serge Ibaka. There you go. OG and Serge bringing us art and not drip. Like, I think Nick Nurse is doing a phenomenal job with those guys. But if they were to run into the Bucks in a series, 
I feel like the Bucks are a little bit more powerful and a little bit more deep. I don't know. Serge is a great defender, but I don't know if Serge can defend Giannis in space. And if Pascal were to draw that matchup, I'm concerned about foul trouble. I'll be straight. Well, you know, Milwaukee's got a bunch of guys on the floor that that have complementary skills too. You know, I mean, Robin Lopez is like, you know, the the Geico caveman, but I mean, he does all the dirty work, you know, for those guys. Uh, <laughs> shout out Geico. We need some sponsorship, Geico. Get it up. Uh, and 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 Brooke, who reinvented himself as from a low post guy to a three point, you know, stretch five. Chris Middleton, just a slasher, mid range game, can you know make a three if you leave him open. Guys off the bench, Kyle Korver, I mean Pat Connaughton, uh, Ersan Ilyasova. They just really seem like a a, a perfect chemistry um, set. <laughs> chemistry <laughs> set. Who you just tried to play a little bit casually, but Chris Middleton, an All Star this year, not just your little casual slasher. Mm-hmm. Next no. guy. No, I mean, the first G League guy to become an All-Star. Fun fact about Chris Middleton. That's such a great story. Yeah. So, you know, and and everybody else, I mean, look, my Celtics, they ran into a pretty serious buzzsaw last uh, Tuesday night in Houston. It was like when, when, when James and Russ combined for 78 points and they go to the free throw line about 100 times each in that game. Uh, all right, slight exaggeration, but they were there a lot. Um <laughs> They're, they're they're like they're playing like ultra small ball right now. Really interesting to watch. I was just about to ask you that. I did watch some of that Celtics game, uh, or we're recording in a Wednesday, Tuesday night. I did watch some of that Celtics game, and the buzz is just oh, this small ball is it actually sustainable? What do you think? I don't. In fact, I was really surprised last night. One of the guys that I've really enjoyed watching on Boston this year has been Ennis Cantor who's really become like the ultimate, you know, kind of rebounding machine for a, for a Celtic team that has really not been a great rebounding team in recent years. So I'm thinking going into the game last night, Houston in the prior two games was minus 34 in rebounds, right? Both losses. So I'm thinking, oh, Ennis is going to like fatten up against these guys. He's just going to go nuts. Well, he laid a complete egg. It was probably one of his worst games of the year. Uh, Boston just didn't have it. Jason Tatum couldn't throw it in the ocean last night. But with Russ and Harden, I don't know how James keeps doing this, but you know what he's going to do. You know how he's going to get you to put your hand in the cookie jar. He's got good guys guarding him. You know, Marcus Smart is a great defensive player, and he still gets those three-shot fouls. The man's a genius. That's all I can say because I have no idea how he does it. I was watching him last night, and I think not only does he have this crazy up fake, and you have to respect his ability to shoot from long range, but even as he's penetrating – he does this herky-jerky, like, it reminds me of the song is going down back in the day when we used to do it. Uh, was it Young Jack or Jeezy? One of them. And it was like the dance was the bounce your shoulders back thing. And so James Harden, as he's penetrating, he just kind of picks his head up at the rim, lifts his chin, and does his hesitation. And he just is a magnet for contact, which is absolutely insane to me. And the thing about him is you can't speed him up. He goes at his own pace. Sometimes it almost looks like he's going in slow motion as he puts you to sleep out there on the on the perimeter. But, you know, you can't speed him up. He does what he wants to do. Um, I don't always enjoy watching him play, but he went for 42 last night, and Russ was like a runaway freight train last night. He was just ridiculous. He had this fire in his eyes that that's when you love watching Russell Westbrook play, when he has that look on his face. 
So someone tossed this question around. You know, we love consuming sports content and conversations. Someone asked, are we going to get to a place where we have to decide whose team the Rockets are, whether it's Russ or James? I don't, I don't know that we have to do that in today's NBA, but I do see the benefit of Russ having the ball in his hands at that point guard spot and it being more beneficial to James than vice versa because of the way that they both play. Like James has a consistent jump shot where I think Russ is a better slasher and just collapses defenses and then can, can um, facilitate. Yeah. And I mean, both of them can pass, both of them can rebound. So they're really kind of two unique guys. I mean, each one of them on any given night is going to get a triple double. I mean, probably, Certainly, Russ averages closer to a triple-double, but Russ is the leading rebounder on the team. He gets eight rebounds a game. He's the leading rebounder on the team. So when you talk about is small ball sustainable for a deep playoff run, I have my doubts. I really don't think so. But you're talking about two Hall of Fame guys who seem to be pretty good playing together. And although I've never been the biggest Mike D'Antoni fan, most people would agree that he knows what he's doing when it comes to, you know, uh, creating an identity for his team's offensive, uh, you know, uh, sets and everything. I'm just, I can't wait for the playoffs this year. I think it's going to be great. I really think that we are going to get that LA, LA matchup because I don't know who's going to stop either of those squads. As good as Dame Lillard has been lately putting up crazy numbers, Portland just doesn't have it. The Mavericks are too young right now. Um, I don't think, I think, Houston, it becomes a game of numbers. They cannot shoot 40%, 45% from behind the arc as a team through multiple seven-game series if they go seven. I don't see who would interrupt what we want to see, Bruce. I don't either. I mean, look, I, I see the Lakers. I see the Clippers. I think, you know, a dark horse team because they play together so well and they seem to have, you know, a lot of different things that you need is Utah. You know, they have a great home court, but I don't see Utah beating either of those two teams. Denver, yeah, you know, a lot of people really like Denver. I've uh, I picked them fifth going into the season in the West, so I don't know. They've, they're, they're really good. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from them. But, yeah, to me, it's like Clippers, Lakers, Lakers, Clippers, one and two, two and one. And then, you know, the, the winner plays Milwaukee. Before we, say, before we finish this NBA, I feel so bad for Isaiah Thomas. I'm, you know, I mean, he ends up getting screwed yet again. He gets traded and again, he's getting released. And I just wish Boston would bring him back to come off the bench. I don't know if they can do it. I don't know if they even want to do it. But to me, he he never played better than when he was wearing green. And, I, and if, if they would ever bring him back, the fans would absolutely love it. And I feel so bad for Isaiah. Some guys, he's always had, you know, to overcome the toughest of odds and, you know, I'm, I just, you know, I just want him to get what, what, what he deserves in life and in his career. Um, so here's my question to you, though, Bruce. You've watched a lot of basketball. Probably mm -hmm. gotten as much basketball as I've watched. Do we think Isaiah Thomas's story, and I, I think you're right, if, if Boston could swing it to bring him back on a year contract, whatever, that would be beautiful. I don't think... He doesn't strike me, at least what, we, what we've seen in D.C. in the media, as a guy who wants a bunch of pity. So I'm not 100% sure he would take that. Like, he, you know, he had his qualms about being traded in the first place. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, 
But do we think that he was just one of those great sports stories that we love and really a case of striking while the iron is hot? He had a great run. But honestly, he's such an outlier in terms of having a strong NBA body of work that that's kind of what we're seeing now. I mean, although we cannot negate injuries have been a part of his narrative the last few years. That's why one of the reasons I feel so bad for him, because he absolutely left it all out on the court in Boston. He gave them everything. He played hurt. He played when his sister died. He gave them everything. And again, it's a business. And Danny Ainge made a business decision. Kyrie Irving was, you know, an upgrade at the time. uh, And they had to, you know, move Isaiah to take a, you know, to get to, to, to trade him, you know, as part of the Kyrie thing. But when somebody is just such heart and soul like Isaiah was in Boston, I just, you know, I just admire a person like that. Whatever their pluses and minuses are, they always get, you know, mad love from me because he left it out there. He never mailed it in. And uh, the team did well with him. They weren't going to win a championship with him as their best player. We know that. But that's why I say if, if there was ever a role for him on the team, whether it would be like uh, coming off the bench, because most teams, their second units struggle to score. Some teams are better. You know, Lou Williams is great off the bench. So their second union to second unit, you know, gets buckets. But Boston's usually has struggled. Will that work? Probably not. I'm speaking from the heart more from the brain. <laughs> we can hear your heart in your voice, Bruce. I appreciate <laughs> Um, okay, I do want to first half of the NBA season. I, for one, am happy to see Zion back on the floor. I think that that Pelican squad is tons of fun. Mm-hmm. Don't know. I mean, sure, they could scramble up an eight seed in the West, maybe, possibly. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Um, I want to see that kid continue to play himself into shape and see if we're going to get everything that was advertised. Obviously, his debut game as a healthy man, was incredible. But we don't expect him to go perfect from behind the three-point line every night. He's he's a unique guy. I mean, he's been compared to Charles Barkley. And look, Charles Barkley was one of the funnest guys we ever watched play basketball for a long, long time. Zion really looks to me like a, a guy who loves to play. And you're right. And Mark Jackson took a lot of unfair heat in his first game when he said, you know, Zion needs to get himself in better shape. People are accusing Mark of hating on him and body shaming him and all that stuff. But you know this as well as anybody. When you're a little bit lighter, you have a better chance to stay healthy, right? When, Especially when you're toting around 285 pounds and you're jumping as high as he is, all of that weight coming down on your knees and your ankles and your feet. I mean, 20 pounds less, it seems like a good idea for him. I need everybody who had anything to say to Mark Jackson to have several seats. We're talking about being in basketball shape. The kid just came back from injury. He was not in basketball full game shape. Like, period. I don't I don't even understand how you have anything to say about that. Well, he's going to have the last lap on a lot of people, that's for sure. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. <laughs> To today's guest, LaChina Robinson, and all of her knowledge that she dropped. Thank you also to my producer and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, and our fantastic editor, Ben Wolfen. Please be sure to check out our other Pure Hoops media shows, 
Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin drops each Wednesday. Their guest this week is front office insider Bobby Marks of ESPN. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops each Friday. Mike Wise swings by each Monday with the Mike Wise Show. His guest this week is Hall of Fame coach Larry Brown, who talks Kobe, Allen Iverson, and his biggest regrets as a coach. And our newest show is Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. John Fanta and Kim Adams. John is my boy. They welcome Louisville head coach Chris Mack to their very first show. They'll swing by with new shows every Tuesday. Please be sure to download, rate, and review all of our shows. It really makes a difference. We'll see you all next week. And until then, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 